0: Columnist Layla Atassi wrote a piece about Chagrin Falls' reaction to a protest, and a whole lot of people had something to say about it, some in support of it, and many opposed to it. That's what we'll be talking about first on This Week in the CLE this morning. It's the news podcast from Cleveland.com. I'm Chris Quinn, and for this first part of the podcast, I am with columnist Layla Atassi. Hello, Layla. Hey, Chris. So let's get started. What are people in Chagrin Falls saying about columnist Leila Layla Atassi's piece and our conversation on this podcast about downtown merchants boarding up their windows in fear of a protest about police brutality? Layla, you had a, one of the best pieces I've read in a while, I thought, in that column. And why don't you set the stage for what drew you to write it before we get into the reaction to it?
1: Well, we had been hearing uh, that uh, as early as Sunday evening of last week, before uh, right you know the evening after downtown um, protests happened in Cleveland, that Chagrin Falls merchants were beginning to board up their stores in advance of what was uh, going to be a protest in, in their their park there. Uh, and so we were curious about this because you know why would Chagrin Falls, this this uh, quiet town, twenty five miles away from Cleveland? be so worried about a protest, which actually was being organized by a sophomore in high school uh, who was just trying to do the right thing. Uh, So then we heard that the sophomore in high school who was organizing it decided he was going to cancel the event because he felt so terrible about the way the merchants had reacted. And he was also getting some death threats from people in town who were sending him messages saying or calling him and leaving messages that said that if you dare show up with your group of protesters, uh, you'll be met. Buy an automatic rate rifle, so I don't blame him for having pulled the plug on it. But in the end, he decided to move forward anyway, and decided he couldn't let it stop him. And there was a very peaceful protest uh, in front of the the town where everything was boarded up in so, anticipation of some kind of riot.
0: And the overarching theme of the column was kind of, "Hey, Sugar and Falls, a, a little reality check here mm-hmm. uh, that that boarding up your entire downtown." it's kind of an act of hostility to the people that are trying to call attention as people have across the nation in record numbers to the issue of police brutality. And, you know, it started when we first heard about it, a few businesses by the end of Monday, I think it was a third of downtown in the end, just about every business was boarded up, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and before we go any further, you know, you board up windows when a hurricane is coming because it stops the winds, but a piece of plywood, against a determined looter with a crowbar not really going to do much except cause more damage when it's ripped off the the front of the building but, but but that aside anyway you wrote this column and and you i thought you did it with you know some gentleness you weren't you weren't completely scornful about it but but it was a a, a call for some introspection there you talked about white america and this is a place that really needs to understand what's going on with with African Americans and police, but man, oh man, you got uh, you got quite the reaction. So, so talk a little bit about what you heard.
1: Yeah, I received quite a bit of feedback. More than 120 emails came my way in the last few days. Here, I, a, a share of them, a share of them were personal attacks, and some of them were straight up racist. You know, kind of proving my point while they were arguing against it. But most of them were from Chagrin Falls residents or people who had grown up there or people who have worked there who said they took exception to my characterizing the town's reaction to the protest as hysteria. And uh, they defended the merchants by pointing to the recent riots in downtown Cleveland as, as a reason to believe that a Black Lives Matter rally in Chagrin Falls could also become violent. Some of them were, were critical of the young man, Chase Tuller, who organized it for, for moving ahead with the protest, given that risk. And um, they pointed out that He's a resident of neighboring Bainbridge, not Chagrin Falls. So he should have had his rally somewhere in Bainbridge instead of Chagrin Falls Business District, even though the point of a demonstration is for your message to be heard by as many people as possible. So I, I, I you know, that that argument, I think, is is weak.
0: Well, talk a little bit about why you did use the word hysteria, because we talked about that before you used it. And you made a a very strong case for why you thought this qualified as hysteria.
1: Well, I think that when you look across the region, we, we're seeing every single day demonstrations uh, popping up in in communities that are that are also suburban, and 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 uh, um, you're not seeing violence; it's it's peaceful, and you're also not seeing shopkeepers boarding up. My own town have had has had a, a string of protests. Over the course of the last week, every single day, people are standing outside of the the police department. And uh, I haven't seen the kind of reaction anywhere that we've seen in Chagrin Falls. And so okay. it's it just strikes me as, you know, one as a merchant uh, looking out onto the rest of the, the business district and you start to see one business, one business board up and another and another. You feel like you should, too, because maybe they know something you don't know. And, you know, that that is how hysteria grows. So,
0: yeah, it seems like I, I mean, th- from inside Chagrin Falls, they clearly most people you've heard from are not seeing it. But I think most of the people outside Chagrin Falls are going away. You're this little hamlet a half hour away from Cleveland. It's not even easy to get to. And yet you're boarding up by your windows. So that mm-hmm. that's why. But but for let's give the people who. Who took great issue with it their say. Why don't you go ahead through some of the sentiments that you received in the email from people that disagreed with you before we bring in some of the sentiments of people who agreed with you?
1: Okay. Well, here's one. It says, um, I was offended by your article about Chagrin Falls and the PD. I've lived there forty years. You should have done more research. Our poor merchants have suffered being closed for two months. They're struggling. Of course they took precautions. Some have businesses downtown as well. It was better to be safe than sorry. I can't call that hysteria. I call it smart planning. Chagrin is a small bedroom community. We welcome anyone who likes our historical and basically crime-free area. I didn't hear you talk about other communities, Hudson, Rocky River, Bay Village. I could go on. Where do you live that you can judge us? Back in the day, Chagrin Falls may have been all that, but a lot of that was everywhere. Grow up, get it right.
0: Okay. What about, how about one more?
1: Okay, let's see. Um all right how about this one many of these owners are smaller entrepreneurial businesses most were closed for two months and finally looked forward to being able to reopen many of whom worked tirelessly for weeks in advance in preparation only to see what could have been possible had things turned ugly they weren't making it up they witnessed it happening everywhere no one in chagrin falls condones what happened to george floyd residents of chagrin falls including my my family and me attended the protest in respect of rights to free speech I was sad to see the protections put in place ahead of time, but they were prudent. I witnessed the residents and owners, many of whom were in front of their stores in respectful observance. Though maybe we did not kneel or lay down in support, neither did we object. I'm happy to have a constructive conversation on racism and inequality with anyone, any time. But if insisting on civility and the rule of law is racism or privilege in deterrence of protests that cause extensive property damage and threats to persons, please give me another helping.
0: Okay. How about people that wrote in support of what you wrote? Because you heard quite a few of those. Yeah, too.
1: well, several readers wrote personal notes of encouragement and support to Chase Tuller, the, the uh, uh, high school student who, who was behind the protest. So I passed those on to him. Um, here's one um, in support of, of the message here. I just wanted to say great job on the Chagrin Falls Black Lives Matter article. As someone who le- used to live in Chagrin, I still have dozens of friends there. And I was surprised to see the tremendous divide between folks. Women I've known for 15 years were in very different camps. Some could not understand why anybody wanted to bring trouble in the form of these protests and blame the organizers. Others could not understand how anyone would not support a teenage kid's desire for criminal justice reform. They argued over him being an outsider. He's technically from Kenston, one community over, but they don't have any natural gathering place. They posted platitudes like, give peace a chance and why can't we just get along? As a white woman of privilege, I've confronted uncomfortable truths during these past weeks about the ways in which I've historically stayed silent in the face of racial injustice. I felt like I was staying out of the way or making room for more important voices. I now see my silence as cowardice. If we do not stand up and link arms and demand justice in this country for everyone, no matter their skin color, religion or gender identity, nothing will ever change.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you know, a part of your job as a columnist to provoke a reaction. I think, in fairness, because we talked about this on the podcast Friday, we we needed to to put some of that reaction out there. So, thank you, Layla. You are listening to this week in this CLE. Want to welcome to the podcast my colleagues Laura Johnston, Jane Cahoon, and Chris Warnowski. Hello. Hello. So let's get to our next question. Why do a bunch of state senators want to stop Governor Mike DeWine from setting the rules for how or whether schools reopen in the fall? One of the topics that is always hot when we publish a story about it is schools reopening in the fall. Jane Cahoon, we have a monkey wrench thrown into Mike DeWine's plan. What is it?
2: We do. We have 17 of the 33 members of the Ohio Senate, uh, the, the GOP-controlled Ohio Senate, so DeWine's own party, are sponsoring this bill that would keep state-level officials out of the school reopenings and leave all the decisions to the local folks. And um, so they, they would, uh, Matt Huffman is behind this, a senator who's probably going to be the next Senate president. So this bill definitely has some, some lift to it here.
0: And his and his general point is the locals should decide some of the rules that they're talking about, like mask wearing won't fly in the local districts. But I always wonder when state legislators go down this route about saying, no, 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 let the locals decide. It's because they don't want to give them any money.
2: <laughs> well, that's your theory. That could be, you know, he the, what he said is that, listen, I have one school district in my Senate district that has like one building that that houses all K to 12. And then another one, you know, that has like 15 schools. So there's so much diversity at the local level. It just doesn't make sense to try to manage this at the at the statewide level.
0: The scary thing about this is, I mean, look, there's a good argument for it, right? The local districts know their students. They know what their conditions are. The buildings are all different. And so they know what they have to do to generally protect the kids. So let's not create a cookie cutter approach. But the frightening thing about it is we have the, the haves and have nots in Ohio schools. We got the Solons and the Rocky rivers and the Beechwoods that have a lot of money and can do what they need. And then you got the East Clevelands, which are broke and, and struggle in Cleveland. And if the state doesn't have some sort of leveling mechanism by establishing the rules and providing necessary equipment, don't we kind of continue the very issues that have led to protests around the country for the past <laughs> week in in terms of inequity and unfair treatment and unequal justice?
2: Right. I mean, we've seen what's happened during this pandemic where, where the, the haves and have-nots, really, there's really been a light shown
3: on that. This is Laura Johnston. I don't know that the school districts like the idea that the state's not going to tell them what to do. Because when you talk to the superintendents, they're like, "We're waiting for state uh, recommendations because we want to do this right." They don't have the ability to do all the research and come up with their own best practices. I, I feel like they're flailing a little bit here. And now the state senate's saying, "No, you just go figure it out yourself." Well,
0: and actually, I think it's actually worse than that, Laura. I think the, the school districts are guessing at which of a bunch of scenarios they might have to deal with and are planning for all of them. And that's really not fair either. It's like, okay, if the kids all come back, we can do this, this, and this. If we only have the kids come back half the days, the week, so we reduce the population and we have homeschooling the other days, we do this, this, and this. And if they stay home the whole time, we have to do this, 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 and this. And they've got to lay in the equipment and the planning and the processes for each of those, because it's a two months, really. Schools will be, we'll be talking back to school in two months. It'll be the third week, second week of August when this is right in our faces. So it's, it's a little bit surprising, one, that the state is not being more clear about what it wants people to do. <laughs> and now Matt Huffman is saying, yeah, I don't want them to do that anyway.
3: you yeah. on your own. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why does East Cleveland city council want to stop nearly all police chases inside their city borders? Chris Ranowski, this is something that really emanates from a a terrible accident that happened last December. What sparked it and what are they trying to do?
4: Right. So back in December, uh, Cleveland police were involved in a chase that uh, they were chasing uh, a stolen uh, teenagers in a stolen car. And, the police said that the teenagers struck a 13 year old girl by the name of Tamia Chapman in East Cleveland after they left the city of Cleveland to continue their chase into another city. And so last week we found out about this, and, and we finished the story this week and published it that uh, council members Nathaniel Martin and Juanita Gowdy have proposed lim- legislation that would essentially prohibit chases over minor infractions into the city from other cities. And it would prevent other departments from chasing suspects through East Cleveland for offenses that are not violent. This sort of follows, I mean, Cleveland, Cleveland sort of banned chases within its city limits after the 2014 chase uh, involving uh, Timothy Russell and Melissa Williams. And, and so it kind of mirrors that a little bit, but what I think is interesting is that, you know, East Cleveland is still having to litigate and and prosecute the chase that Cleveland did back in 2014. So so East Cleveland has has really borne the brunt of a few of these instances in more than just one way. And so, you know, they they're basically saying like we don't want, you know, Cavalier cops like like speeding into our city and and putting our residents lives in danger.
0: Can a city do that? Can a city actually say um, another police department, state troopers, sheriff's department people cannot do a chase in our town? Is Does East Cleveland
4: have the power to do that? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some question as to whether the state law will allow it or not. But I, I, I mean, I think they have discretion over who's allowed to police in their, their communities. You know, I mean, and I think that this is one of the, You know, I mean, we have such a like a giant amount of police agencies in this is in this community. And so, you know, this is an issue that that pops up all the time. You know, you have Euclid chasing people into other communities. You have Lakewood chasing people into clay. I mean, it just it's a thing that happens. And and I think that East Cleveland has a right to say, like, no, you can't come in here and and do this sort of stuff. So there's a uh, trade off that Cuyahoga County Prosecutor
0: Michael O'Malley has talked about that. If word gets out that police are not doing chases, then criminals are much more likely to flee because then they don't get arrested. Uh, it, it's a tough balance, and cities that do what East Cleveland wants to do is basically they're basically saying, "Hey, we value human life more than catching the bad guy." What's interesting is the exception in this case is for violent crimes, and the people that killed Tamia Chapman had committed a violent crime. They had done a carjacking at gunpoint at a target on the west side of Cleveland and were followed by an off-duty officer until they got to East Cleveland. So that chase wouldn't have been banned by this, right?
4: Right. Uh, But, but again, it's, it's, is the chase necessary in that situation? And that will be, you know, that'll be the thing that will get debated is the violent act is over and, and you can, you know, there 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 will be a, a line of thinking that says that that even in that instance, the chase is unnecessary. So, you, you know, it, it's are are you are you doing society a favor by you know running these kids off the road and making sure they don't commit any more violent acts? You know, I mean, this is the the, the sort of weird philosophical legal arguments that people get into when they talk about this kind of stuff. I think maybe in this instance, the, the East Cleveland people would say. This was acceptable, but they also say that this instant, this instance alone, wasn't the catalyst for this law, uh, or this legislation. Uh, I think this is an issue that they probably deal with more than we probably know, and so you know, I, I think a lot of people probably get chased into East Cleveland and and, and really into every com- any, any community. I mean, it, it, it's something that everybody sort of struggles with, and so. You know, with everything that is going on at a national level, and the conversations we're having about, you know, overzealous policing and and stuff like that, I I think you know they're within their rights to to look at putting limits on on what you know outside police subject to their citizens to.
0: So if I uh, commit a crime in Cleveland or another city that borders East Cleveland, and the police and where I committed it start chasing me. My goal is to get in East Cleveland because they'll have to stop chasing me. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, a, it's a paradox. There, you can but... also
4: go into Cleveland, you know, I mean, yeah. we've, we've had this for what, how long? And, you know, you hear the rumbling and grumbling from, from the rank and file who say, you know, it limits our ability to chase people. But I mean, I, I you well, know, we haven't I...
0: had, we haven't really had a, an, a, I mean, other than to me, a Chapman, which was a Cleveland police, pursuit, although it was very low speed for most of it. It only became a a serious chase once it got to East Cleveland. Right. Um, But we really haven't had a case. Okay, it's this week in the CLE. What is the argument that eight bars and restaurants are using in court to get a judge to lift coronavirus rules imposed on them by Ohio Governor Mike DeWine? For some reason, Jane Cahoon, these lawsuits keep popping up in Lake County. What's going
2: on? <laughs> yeah, it's strange. This is the third suit filed in, in Lake County, which is the place where they've already received one favorable ruling. The, pe- the people challenging the um, gym closings won a case there. So perhaps it's perceived as, as friendly territory. But this new suit, uh, which, as you mentioned, is has been filed by eight bars and restaurants, most of them in Northeast Ohio, they want to overturn the social distancing requirements that the state has put on them. Like they don't like that patrons have to be seated when they're eating or drinking or that they have to be six feet apart. But the the arguments in this case are kind of interesting. A a couple that I really hadn't heard before, I mean, they make the usual argument that this is an overreach of authority. But uh, one of the arguments is that Dr. Amy Acton, the Ohio health director, doesn't, can't give her, she doesn't have the power to quarantine people for longer than the incubation period of the disease, which is 14 days. And then they also say that, you know, they don't want to be liable like they could be sued if they force people to sit in their seats and they also think it's ridiculous that you know people should be monitoring their own temperatures and symptoms that that people who come to these places aren't doctors and and how are they supposed to know if they're sick or not
0: (laughs) how are you supposed to know (laughs) if you're sick or not okay you know i i do think that the the upshot of these lawsuits and of the battle dewine has had with the legislature We are coming in for some sort of review of the power of the health director. The health director got the powers they have really after the 1918 pandemic. We haven't ever thought about them in our lifetimes because we haven't had something like this. But this has raised a lot of questions about the power of the health director. The health director alone stopped an election, which has caused a great deal of discussion. These, these lawsuits are being filed in Lake County because they think they have a friendly judge and they probably get what they want. But, but I do think we, we are due for a real conversation about the power of the health director and, and the ability to compel a restaurant or anybody else to follow these rules. It's an interesting one. I hope this one goes to trial because I think it'll be a fascinating review of these
4: powers. So we'll have to see. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Chris this is Chris Warnowski. I, how much of this do you think is designed to address what's happening now? And how much do you think it might be in anticipation of the fact that we might see another spike and another attempt to maybe uh, increase restrictions again? Like, I mean, we're we're getting toward the back end of of of, you know, every, I mean, everything's starting to open and 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 we're getting and we don't the, have a
0: surge. So it looks
4: like we're on the way. And you're right. So, Jane, do you have a thought?
2: I, I think Chris brings up a good point. I think they very well could be trying to head something like that off.
4: Because, I mean, you're starting to see, your, like, places like Arizona are now, you know, seeing sort of a critical surge in, in cases. And, you know, they're starting to have issues with hospital beds. And and so, you know, in, in a couple of weeks when everybody's blaming uh, a spike in cases on, you know, the protests as opposed to, you know, the fact that we, you know, open the door to people sitting on patios and congregating with each other. I, you know, it, it'll be interesting. i you well, know, I'm pushing back on it, Chris. The okay. restaurants
0: have been open for three weeks and we haven't seen a surge. I mean, yeah. I
4: it does very
0: much appear that Ohio is on the wane and the fear is, OK, it's summer, the, the, the 1918 pandemic went this route. Does it come roaring back? So we'll have to see. I mean, I, I do think the restaurants will want this to be ruled upon. So that the, the next time around, they can deal with it. And, you know, it's probably cutting into their business and their capacity. It's this week in the CLE. What's the latest on the no-bid contracts for $30 million that Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish wants to give to hand-selected contractors? It's interesting. The county would try to have you believe that this doesn't involve no-bid contracts, but clearly it does. There's no scope of work. There's no bidding. They basically said, hey, companies, we want to give out a lot of money for work we need to have done. Send us your credentials. Laura, what's the latest on this? Because it's been controversial. Laura Johnston.
3: Well, so last night, a county council committee approved half of that amount, $15 million to go to six hand-picked companies.
0: I thought it was eight.
3: All right. They expanded Okay. It to oh, eight hand-picked companies. Sorry. But Budish had promised diversity would be a priority in awarding the second $15 million to get to that $30 million total. No one on council complained. Uh, he's not proposing full open bidding, but the second contract would include a whole lot more criteria to give an advantage to businesses that were not in, in business okay. in the county before. All right,
0: but the county council didn't complain this time. Right. But when Budish first came in with $30 million to six hand-selected contractors, there was one minority contractor, a business owned by a Hispanic, and the African-American County Council, along with the the association that represents black contractors, kind of went yes. Went hard at Buddhist saying, what what gives? You you claim you're going to support diversity and you want to change the inequities in this town. And when you get the chance to actually help minority businesses, you don't. You don't pick one business owned by an African-American. So in the face of that withering criticism, he broke the 30 million in no bid contracts into two sets of of 15 million right. in no bid contracts.
4: <laughs> right, that, exactly.
0: And and the emergency they're claiming that to to do this no bid is they have to spend federal dollars by the end of the year. Right. I'm not sure that qualifies as an emergency. Usually the emergency is the jail roof collapsed. We got to put the jail roof back up because prisoners are going to die. We don't have time to go through normal bidding. But but losing federal dollars, I'm not sure that's what the framers of the and charter they, were thinking. They haven't of.
3: been very clear about what exactly they need to do. I mean, they're they're talking about making the buildings, the county buildings, safer in the wake of coronavirus. But it's, it, it I mean, they're saying we'll we'll kind of come up with the work, and then we're going to hand out to the contractors so they can do it. It's not like. I mean, in a normal process, and I know we've talked about this before, you would say, here's exactly what we want done, here's our specifications, and tell me how much you can do the work for. And now they're just going to dream up projects and hand them out. It's, <laughs> it's, it's bizarre.
0: I, 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 Look, we've got a lot more questions on this. We're, we're looking at what, you know, the Buddhist administration in the past has said they have the rights to do stuff. Like, we have the rights to pay overtime to salaried workers, which we didn't buy, and we were proven right. They- they were violating the rules. They ended up changing the rules so that they could do it, which was kind of weird, but but, but they were wrong. So when they say they have the right to do this, it just, we're not buying. We want to see the proof. So we're going to be looking now, what really can you do with emergency powers? The whole reason for public bidding is to get the taxpayer the best price. You say, I want to build this bridge. I want it made of this steel. I want it to look like this. How much can you do it for? And the construction companies make their bid and we get the best price. We're not getting the best price here. So it's 30 million being spent without that. What is the mechanism by which they're able to get beyond the the system that protects the taxpayers? So it's a big question and we will seek to answer it. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Okay. Thank you guys for, for joining the podcast. I did start with uh, Layla following up on the Chagrin Falls thing. A lot of people were hot about that. So we gave them their say. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Jane. Thanks to Layla. Thanks for everybody who listens this week in the CLE.
1: We'll return tomorrow.